I was so out of my mind upset when Lance Dunbar tore his ACL and was lost for the season on a kickoff return. He gives you nothing in the return game. He hasn't broken one in his career. Can't run for shit in the ZBS and Darren McFadden and the Cowboys run 80% in CBS. And then you have Christian Michael. Uh, I, I didn't think that treating him as a monster was going to work in a press conference setting where I, I'm trying to get answers so Cowboy fans can hear what he has to say. You know, and Greg was running around the State Fair of Texas uh, since he couldn't get the facility. He was there last week the same day that I was. So unless he got mm-hmm. into way too much of the uh, chicken fried lobster and champagne gravy, then uh, I don't think he's a guy you have to worry about being in shape. Uh, you know, right. from, from everything we've heard, this guy is pretty fanatical. All right, all right, all right. You are now rocking with the best. Thank you so much for tuning in to another crazy, insane episode of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. As always, I am your host, KD Drummond. Follow me on Twitter at KD Drummond NFL, and you can find me on Cowboys HQ daily, weekly, monthly, whatever way you want it. I'm here for you, Cowboys Nation. It is a crazy, crazy time to be in the realm of the Cowboys right now. We have players coming back from suspension. We have players going out over injury. We have bus drivers at quarterback. It's just insane. And the shit hit the fan with the Greg Hardy interview presser, however you want to call it, and everybody having their reaction because people just can't seem to let it go, man. And we've talked on and on. We've done the whole dance about whether or not he should have been in jail and, and what it means. And, and Joey Ice will be on later with us, uh, broke down for you all of the ins and outs about the case. Go Google it. Go Google Joey Ice Cowboys HQ, Greg Hardy, to see the ins and outs of the case if you need a refresher. But the facts remain that he was not convicted uh, for the domestic violence charge. He is a Dallas Cowboy, and he is now back. And we will talk at great length with Mike Fisher Cowboys insider later on in the show about what happened based off of the press conference and how the national media and some of the local media are responding to the situation. It is insane. And a lot of people are on soapboxes. They really shouldn't be on, but that's the way media goes nowadays. It's clickbait. It's all about views, how many people you can get to tune in as opposed to stating facts and leaving opinions out of it. Everybody wants to have an opinion. That's what I'm here for. I'm here to give you the one and only opinion. And early this week, I had to take the Cowboys coaching staff to task because quite honestly, they pissed me off. It just got to be too much. When you lose your starting quarterback the way the Cowboys did, when you lose your star receiver the way the Cowboys did, when you're already playing down a couple hands with guys that are out injured, the coaching staff has to get the rest of the players to buy in completely to the program. They have to make sure the rest of the players aren't making stupid pre-snap penalties and costing themselves. They have to make sure that when a team is trying for a two-point conversion, that you have all 11 men on the field. They have to make sure that there's not 12 men on the field in the following game causing a penalty that leads to opposing teams' points. I was so out of my mind upset 
when Lance Dunbar tore his ACL and is lost for the season on a kickoff return? Have the coaches not paid attention to Lance Dunbar's kickoff return history? He's not good at it. He has speed. He has shiftiness. But Lucky Whitehead still isn't getting offensive snaps. So if he wasn't doing that, why do you even have him on the roster if he's not going to be your return man? Cut him and find somebody else if you don't think he's good enough. But if you keep him on the roster, you obviously think that he's something to protect. So give him the opportunity to be the guy that, that kneels down on five out of every six kickoffs or that takes the fair, the fair catch on punts that you now have Cole Beasley running. Because it makes absolutely no sense to risk either one of those guys and leave them open to injury that can so frequently happen on special teams plays. And lo and behold now, sure, it was an idiotic play for Lance Dunbar to bring that ball out of the end zone. And then he hesitated. He had a bad return. He shouldn't have even been in the position to have that kind of return because the Cowboys should have a specialist on their team that they trust enough to trot out there for punts and kickoffs. It's like they don't even value the kick return game. And I don't know about Joel. I don't worship there, but I'm well aware of the church of Bill Parcells. And one of the things that he always talked about was hidden yardage. You have to make sure that you win the hidden yardage game. The Cowboys have a bus driver at quarterback right now. They can't get turnovers to save their life. Wouldn't it be nice if one of these returners broke one, put the team in a, uh, in a beneficial position based on the return game? But the Cowboys have no plan at return. They've handcuffed their returners. So if you're not if, if you want a guy to just sit there and take Neil down, why wouldn't it be Lucky Whitehead? Why would you keep Lance Dunbar in that role when A, he hasn't shown any ability to break a kickoff return, and B, he's so vital to your offense? It was just a dumb move. As dumb as them not calling a timeout when Andrew Gashkar gets injured in overtime and they have to shuffle in a guy to play linebacker with two seconds left on the play clock. And Drew Brees, obviously, because he is a top-flight quarterback, takes advantage of that and targets the linebacker who isn't in position to check C.J. Spiller, one of the most dynamic passing threats, out of the backfield. You can't make these mistakes as coaches when your team is as handicapped as the Cowboys are. You can't do it. I'm not saying that Jason Garrett is a bad coach. What the team accomplished last year sold me on Garrett. And I'm a guy that came from a position at the end of the 2013 season, if you remember, I wrote an article talking about it's time for him to go. And I was initially a supporter of Jason Garrett. As soon as he took the interim job, I thought that it was a beautiful situation for him to grow into the role of Cowboys coach for life. But these brain freezes can't happen when you're down as many players as the Cowboys are down. I don't get into the intricacies of play calling way above my pay grade. So if you have a problem with how they do this, how they do that, I'm not, I'm not entering that arena with you. I'm talking about game management, roster management, personnel management. They screwed up on this one. And I'm fearful 
of the fact that we had so much going on. Now, obviously, Lance Dunbar, he has a history of injuries. He could have gotten injured at any time. Saying that, you know, leaving him only on offense would keep him from being injured. I'm not saying that at all. But I would much rather, if he got injured, for it to have come in a situation where he truly could make a difference like he can on offense. Because kick returns ain't it. So now we're going to see who they have doing the duties, whether it be McFadden, whether they activate Whitehead, and that'll just be, for me, a kick in the teeth if now they go to Lucky Whitehead after Dunbar gets injured. So because I don't want to raise my blood pressure, I'm kind of hoping that, that, that they give that role to Darren McFadden. But it still leaves Cole Beasley at risk bringing those punts back. And he's strictly out there just to catch a ball. It, it's a, It's obscene the number of fair catches that he takes and to me it seems obvious that he's under the edict not to take any risk unless it's a line drive punt and you have 15 yards of clearance between you and and a running defender to just take the fair catch you can't do this stuff when your team is as depleted as the cowboys are but they are getting guys back this week we should see the return of greg hardy We should see the return of Orlando McClain, knock on wood. Sean Lee will be in the game. Shout out to Adam. If we can get those two linebackers together, man, I can't wait. But we might have to because Sean Lee got a freaking concussion. It's like it'll never happen. That's the feeling I'm starting to get. We will never see Sean Lee and Orlando McClain together ever. They might be the same person. That, That might be the reason why we can't ever see them in the game together. They might actually be the same person through the modern miracles of science or something that they transform. Why got a black guy, different size, different voice box, whatever you want to call it. I haven't seen them together. Have you seen them together? Show me a picture with them side by side. Then we'll talk. The East is right for the taking. New York has obviously looked better the last couple weeks. They had double-digit leads against their first two opponents and lost those. They whooped the Redskins. They whooped the Bills. It looks like the Giants and their faux Green Bay offense are a legitimate team to be concerned about. We got to win on them already. If we can come out of the bye and get Gregory back and get Bryant back, I think we have a fair shot of, of defeating them, even with Brandon Whedon at quarterback. And as me and uh, co-host Keith Mullins, who also will be joining the show a little bit later, we talk about all the time. Hope is lost when you go to your backup quarterback. You're not going to win the majority of your games, so you hope to steal a couple. Atlanta was stealable. New Orleans was stealable. New England, not so much stealable. But I'm saying they got a chance. I'm saying they have a chance because anything can happen in the NFL. The Cowboys have played New England well before. A couple years ago when they lost that game in Foxborough, the Cowboys weren't expected to be able to uh, compete with that team, but they did. So you never know. Maybe something happens. Maybe Greg Hardy eats the lunch of the entire New England Patriots offensive line. It could happen. I know the job will be very difficult for Tank Lawrence setting the edge at left defensive end because the Patriots are sick 
when it comes to running. Their adjusted line yards, which is the stat that football outsiders produces that basically measures the effect of the offensive line on a play, it's like two and a half yards better than the second-place team when it comes to running behind right tackle. Demarcus Lawrence is going to have his work cut out for them. They are going to run right at him. But the interesting thing is if Greg Hardy starts to get things going, how they change their focus to deal with him and how that has a trickle-down effect on how the rest of the line goes. I made a big deal about Tyrone Crawford's contract when it happened. I think he's a great player. I think he has a lot of potential. I would not have paid him what they paid him. The three technique in Marinelli's defense is supposed to be the straw that stirs. We'll see. He had six quarterback hurries against the Saints. That's a phenomenal number, but he didn't get home. So the question is, now that you have an elite, and Greg Hardy is elite, now that you have an elite threat, what happens to the rest of the line? Does Crawford finally get home? Now that they can't focus on Demarcus Lawrence all the time, does he start to get home? Now that Jeremy Mincy is no longer asked to beat guys off the edge and he can play in the middle or in just strictly passing downs on limited snaps, does he get home? What about the new guy, David Irving, that they, that they got from Kansas City? Very intriguing. Mammoth of a man. Did you see him on the tape? He, he literally towered over so many players. Very exciting to see what he can do in limited snaps. The Cowboys are starting to get bodies back, and it should be a trickle-down effect throughout the rest of the defense. On offense, we're just holding on until we get Des and Tony back. That's what it is. You got a bus driver, a quarterback. You're down your main weapon. You're down your jitterbug back. You have one back who doesn't want to seem to listen to anything that the coaches are saying, which is so disappointing in Joseph Randall. You have another back who's good in power, man, blocking schemes, can't run for shit in the ZBS, in Darren McFadden, and the Cowboys run 80% in ZBS. And then you have Christian Michael, who fans now want to sign off on because he got one carry in a situation where everybody knew that he was going to run, that the team was going to run, and the line got blown up. The line is playing injured. What are we going to do with that? Is there anything to do with that? Is the season sunk because the line is playing hurt? I won't say, I shouldn't say injured. But they have remains of injuries from over the summer. Doug Free's foot isn't right. I don't think Zach Martin's neck is right. We know Ron Leary's groin is giving him problems. He sat out the Atlanta game and he came back from New Orleans. out of sync and they need their general and he ain't coming back until November the Cowboys try to put everything on the defense and the defense isn't ready because the defense was undermanned they're missing three key components getting two of them back this week hell they were missing four key components because Sean Lee missed the crucial series when Atlanta was coming back and they were scoring Sean Lee was out getting his lips stitched New Orleans, the last two drives, you think Sean Lee being out there would have made a little bit of a difference? He had a concussion. We've already talked about whether or not you can depend on Sean Lee. We, we covered that until I was vomiting. 
But that's what the Cowboys are right now. A lot of hope. A lot of waiting to see if we can do it. Y'all know me. I don't wear rose-colored glasses. But my shades have a tint of blue. So let's see if it happens. Let's go out there on Sunday and see what they can do against New England. They don't have to win. I think most people chalk it up as a loss already. How are they going to play? How are they going to perform with this daunting task ahead of them? If you go ahead and give a good performance, screw it. Pull the upset while you're at it. So let's see. We have an exciting show. First, we're going to check in with my man, Joby Ikes. Then we're going to check in with my man, Mike Fisher, get the latest on this crazy Greg Hardy press conference and all of the all of the garbage that's gone along with it. And then we're going to chop it up with my man, Keith Mullins, and talk about the way the defense is playing. No better time to do it than now. Let's go. All right, all right. We are now back on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD with the one and only Mr. Joey Ice, one of the forefathers of Cowboys Talk on Twitter. You can make sure you're following him at Joey Ice, J-O-E-Y-I-C-K-E-S on Twitter. You will not be disappointed. Mr. Ice, how goes it, sir? It goes very well, my friend. How are you? I have absolutely no complaints besides the fact that the Cowboys are on a two-game losing streak. Today in the press conference, Jason Garrett did indicate not much would change with the Cowboys running back rotation after the injury to Lance Dunbar, which is silly considering how many pass targets Lance Dunbar was getting. So I want you to talk to me about that first. Who is capable of doing what Dunbar did for this Cowboys offense? Well, I don't necessarily think they think of Lance Dunbar as a running back in the same way that we traditionally think of a running back. So I think they feel like their running back rotation has been Joseph Randall and Darren McFadden. So in that case, and he, and I believe he even said in the press conference, other than the fact that Lance won't be with us. So I think right. that the, the one guy that they have left on this team that has the kind of juice after the catch and the ability to play in space the way that Dunbar did is Lucky Whitehead. Yes, he's a wide receiver. No, he's not going to line up in the backfield and pass protect. But, again, you people by now know my stance on running backs and pass protection. So um, I'm not going to go into that. But Lucky Whitehead has the ability to be the guy who gets open underneath, beats a linebacker in space, and, and turns a, a three-yard pass into a 15-yard game. Because McFadden's not going to do that. Joseph Randall might do that occasionally. But I'm working under the assumption that Joseph Randall has taken up permanent residence in the doghouse and could potentially not come back out. So I'm working under the assumption that Jason Garrett telling you there will be no significant change is Jason Garrett trying to tell Bill Belichick that there will be no significant change and they come right. out and roll and rolling with Darren McFadden and Kristen Michael going forward. Hmm, that's very interesting and very disappointing for those of us who – think that McFadden is, let's just say, short on exactly what it is that the Cowboys do on offense. I mean, I've made, obviously, no secret of my lack of trust in McFadden being able to succeed in the zone blocking scheme. Uh, you've also, obviously, chimed in on that. Uh, we've repeated it. You've done the film studies on it. He is a good fit for what they do in their power man blocking scheme. But he doesn't seem to be able to make the reads necessary to be successful in his own blocking scheme. So I'm a little bit apprehensive about that, but I do believe that Randall did land himself in the doghouse. 
uh, as you just alluded to. So the question is, how do you see the share going forward then? If Randall is kind of on the outs and we know that they gave Michael all of one carry last week, do you see McFadden taking over the lead dog role and having that like three to one ratio as far as carries in this game? Well, I think that, I mean, I'm trying to remember. I don't have it in front of me, but it seems like Randall's been getting 15 to 18 carries a game and McFadden's been getting eight to 10 carries a game. Does that sound about right to you? Uh, yeah, that's, that sounds about right. It's a two to one or uh, a little bit, a little bit more than a two to one ratio. Right. It's, it's basically like Randall gets the first quarter. McFadden comes in the first series of the second quarter, and then Randall comes back in, and then they kind of do the same thing in the third and fourth quarters, kind of the way I'm remembering it just based on the last few games. So Correct. What, what my thought is is they'll, they'll give McFadden the first couple of series of the game, which will probably be the first quarter, and then we see Kristen Michael get his own series at the start of the second quarter. Would be If I was the coaching staff, th- this would be my, my progression. Um, and – if I was the coaching staff, I would take what you just said about the zone blocking scheme fit with Darren McFadden and his lack of lateral agility and all those sorts of things, and I'm going to start pulling guards and tackles all over the place to try to help this guy get on one on one track and let him run. Because once he does that, he is very fast. He is explosive, and, and when he has a long runway to get going in one direction, he can be explosive. Uh, but that's not the typical track that happens on a zone blocking run. Um, so I would start running more plays that suit his skill set more appropriately. Um, and then at the start of the second quarter, I put Kristen Michael in and I give him his own series. The one thing that could potentially happen that could blow this whole thing up is the same thing we've been talking about since just before week one, is that when Kristen Michael gets his opportunity to run the ball in a typical run, a typical offensive scenario, he has the physical ability and has shown the ability as a runner at the NFL level to change their plans at the running back position. And uh, we, we've talked, gush, people have gushed and gushed, and I've been as adamant as any that Kristen Michael has this type of skill set. We don't have to go that far into it, but, but it's the truth. And, and as long as if he gets an opportunity, there's the potential that it could change the plans for the team and potentially change the running game space for the rest of the year. Do you think that there's a chance that Michael's – well, let, let me backtrack. What do you think is the impetus for Joseph Randall being in the doghouse? It is. It can't simply be the uh, near the almost fumble at the goal line, which we know he had a problem with. He did that earlier in the year and got away with it. He's done that in the past and been caught with his pants down, so to speak. Is it strictly that, or is there more to what Joseph Randall hasn't been doing these first four games that have landed him in the doghouse, as you put it? I think what it has a lot to do with, and maybe it's he's in the doghouse. He was in the doghouse for the second half of last game, and he comes back out and nothing changes. And he goes back and it's the normal rotation again. Uh, who knows? But I, I, what I feel like is that it's the same problem they've had since beginning of Joseph Randall's career is they don't know if they can rely on him. And by that, I mean, they don't know if he's going to do what he's coached to do. We now know since the game's ended that he has been explicitly instructed not to dive over the pile at the goal line. 
and that 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 instruction was given after the last game in which he did it against the Falcons. Um, And then he goes out and on a play that's not designed for that dive to take place. There there are plays where it's designed for the the offensive lineman to just dive at the knees of the defensive lineman and create a pile for the running back to dive over the top of. That wasn't the way that play was structured. Joseph Randall went outside the structure of the play and took it upon himself to jump over the pile. Um, you can make arguments about whether there was a hole there or not, what should he have done in the alternative, but his explicit coaching point instructions were do not jump over the pile, and he did it anyway and then turned and extended and exposed the ball with one hand in a pile of 21 people. So it's, um, I think that that's what it comes down to. It comes down to is he reliable with the ball? Is he reliable to do what we're coaching him to do from a running standpoint, all this, it's the same questions that we've talked about now for six or eight months with Joseph Randall. Is he dependable in these situations enough to be the lead running back? And there have been times when he looks like he is, and there's been times when he looks like he isn't. And for a coach, they're going to run from anything that they can't rely on, specifically at that position where ball security and ball control are so paramount. Yeah, and it's, it's kind of strange knowing that they have uh, question marks surrounding all of their running backs. Uh, I wrote an article earlier in the week uh, questioning the Cowboys' coaches on some of the decisions that they've made as the year has progressed. Uh, first and foremost was my wondering about their decision to have Lance Dunbar back on kickoffs uh, and risking that injury. We've heard many times how they re- refuse to uh, open up certain key players to injury based on putting them in return position, most notably Des Bryant. Uh, we see Cole Beasley batter on punts, and he is, seems to be under ex- explicit instructions not to return anything when there's anybody within five yards of him to just fair catch it to avoid injury. But they exposed Lance Dunbar, and now they have lost a key component of their 2015 offensive makeup. Uh, we see how many targets he gets out of the backfield. He was instrumental in the comeback against the Giants. We see him with, you know, 10 catches against the Falcons. And now he's gone for the year because he made a poor decision in coming out on the kickoff, but he was out there in the first place as opposed to somebody like Lucky Whitehead or even Darren McFadden, somebody who was less integral to their offensive system. So I, I like your idea of using Lucky Whitehead, but what do you think – the loss of Dunbar does overall to the Cowboys' offensive game plan, which is so muted now that they're without Romo and without Dez, and they're basically picking and scratching, trying to figure out a way to produce on offense. Well, I think the way you described it is perfectly is it's muted. And the thing about the situation with Dunbar and Beasley returning kicks is that when those when everybody on the team is healthy, when, when Romo's healthy, when Witten's healthy, when Bryant's healthy, all those guys are healthy. Beasley and Dunbar are complementary players. Right. They may they may be guys that we look to and say, okay, well this guy plays this role and he's really good at that role, but they're complementary players. As in the offense can function basically normally without them. So I don't necessarily have a problem with coming out of camp and saying, okay, this is our punt return guy and this is our kick return guy. But by the time Bryant goes down, you understand, okay, Lance Dunbar is our juice on offense. Cole Beasley is our third down conversion weapon on offense. 
we need to protect these guys, just like you're saying. And in the meantime, we have Lucky Whitehead over here, who we could give the same instructions to fair catch everything, and we could give the same instructions to not bring anything out as as you would with a key player trying to protect them from injury if you're worried about ball security, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but they just have they made the decision not to do that. And again, I think that it ultimately comes down to the same thing we talked about with Joe Randall, and that's trust, is that, that Lucky Whitehead just simply didn't do enough from a ball security standpoint early in, in training camp and through the preseason to convince them that he was a reliable option as a returner at this point in his career. And, and he's uh, at this point they've continued to – or they have failed to waver from that. Yeah, it was just so frustrating for me, as I mentioned in the uh, in the opening monologue. Why was Lucky Whitehead even on your team, even active, if that's how you felt about him, if you had that little bit of trust? Because you weren't giving him offensive snaps. If you don't trust him in the special teams department, then why is he even on your team? Why didn't you go out and find somebody that you could trust? But that's another story for another time. Before I let you go, I have to get your take on the return of our defensive, hopefully, stars. I'm doing air quotes right now, which I often do on the radio for absolutely no reason at all. But our the return of Greg Hardy, Rolando McClain, but more specifically Hardy, uh, what are you looking for out of him as he's created this kind of dust up with his, to me, what seem to be benign comments and, and nothing to get excited about in the press conference where he said, basically, I'm here to talk about football. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on his return to the defense? Well, I think he makes a huge difference, and I, I talked a lot in the off season and through the free agency period about this team's need for an alpha dog rusher mm-hmm. and just that guy that when the offense lines up, they know I got to find this guy and we got to make sure we block this guy. And Greg Hardy is that guy. Um, and People were saying it was going to be DeMarcus Lawrence, and people were saying, oh, well, we could draft that guy. And people were saying that, that Tyrone Crawford could be that guy. And as good as some of those players are, as good as DeMarcus Lawrence is playing, and he is playing well, and as good as Tyrone Crawford is playing, and he is playing well, um, the you need – it's a different breed of guy. I just don't feel like DeMarcus Lawrence is ready to be that alpha guy right now. And that guy is right. Greg Hardy. And when you have that guy on your team who is literally a threat to completely take over a game, like if you think about an offense has anywhere from, say, an average of about 10 possessions in a game, a sack essentially ends a possession for all intents and purposes, whether it happens on right. first down, second down, or third down. Because a sack is usually a loss of 8 to 12 yards. So you're talking about essentially a holding penalty, which is, is a death penalty for a for a, a death sentence for a drive. And you're talking about That's a, a loss guy, of down. Exactly. So you're getting you're getting three. This guy has the potential, and when he starts getting sacks, he gets them in bunches. This is Mike Fisher's thing that he likes to say is, "Oh, he's a sack a game kind of guy." And yes, that's the average, but that's not the way this guy plays. This guy sacks in bunches. He'll go out and get you three or four sacks in a game. That's essentially ending 30 to 40% of your opponent's possession in a single game. One guy. He he is literally taking over the football game on his own. And even when he's not getting sacks, it doesn't matter because the, the offense still has to account for him as if he is. 
because he's right. always the threat. He's always the threat to go on a run where three possessions in a row he ends it with a sack on second down or on third down, and you wind up punting, and, and now your offense is working with seven possessions instead of ten. And so your offense has to account for him in protection that way. They have to account for him in the play calling that way. They have to account for him. The quarterback has to account for him in his internal clock. It, it completely changes everything. We talk about the pass rush as a whole. And, yes, you can run five or six guys that are beta-level, B-level guys out there, and eventually you will get a bunch of guys that get four, five, six sacks. But it's not going to change the game in the way that this alpha-level guy does. And they feel like they have another guy coming along that can be that guy in Randy Gregory, and mm-hmm. they very they very well could. But to, to count on him at that full-time alpha rusher was going to be uh, going to be – uh, taking an unnecessary risk. They they made a very good decision from a football standpoint to uh, to bring Greg Hardy onto the team, and he's going to make a huge difference from an energy standpoint, from an intensity standpoint, from a uh, just a, a dynamic playmaking ability standpoint. And the same thing holds true uh, with the double nickel Rolando Lafayette. There it is. Joey Ice, ladies and gentlemen, as I told you, you will not regret following him on Twitter at Joey Ike. Make sure you do that immediately. Make sure you check out his Cowboys HQ film room as he dissects everything that you want to know about the most recent game. Mr. Ike, thank you so much for your time, man. We're going to talk again real soon. Absolutely. I appreciate it. All right. Take care, brother. of the Cowboys Crunch Time podcast. It is time for none other than hook, line, and sinker with the one and only Fish. My man, Mike Fisher, Cowboys Insider, joins us here on Cowboys Crunch Time today. Fish, thank you so much for blessing us with a moment of your time because it has been a whirlwind day and we need your input. Yeah, I, I uh, somebody, I, I think it was this morning, on Wednesday morning on the fan, we were talking about the running back situation. I said, well, we'll know more on Wednesday. And then I realized, oh no, shoot! It is it is Wednesday. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's 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 gone fast and slow and crazy and interesting all at the same time. Yeah, uh, basically for our listeners out there, obviously the Cowboys have practice that is open to the media. They allow the players to speak to the media and the media to witness uh, the walkthrough in the morning. So it's pretty much open period for the media to get access to the team, the coaches, and everything, uh, and get insight on what the plan is for the coming weekend game and lo and behold all hell broke loose because this is the first time that the media has had access to greg hardy coming off of his four game suspension i talked about it earlier in the intro it's just crazy how much this has gotten local media national media fans everywhere stirred up again about the greg hardy situation so fish i'll turn the floor over to you and you break down for us how things went 
starting with the press conference and going from there. All right, I'm going to try to do this without raising my voice or my blood pressure, so wish me luck. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, yeah, and just, yeah, and just to be completely clear, the walkthrough is actually a private earlier-in-the-morning deal, and we don't see that, but the beginning of the practice at about 1130 uh, daily, that's when, you know, 1115, 1130, we get to go out there, and then, KDA, you're exactly right. We, we, get, a, we get a feel, um, but we don't necessarily get to watch practice uh, right. So when we find out our insights about what happened in practice, that, that actually takes actual reporting instead of just standing on the track. So there's that. Uh, right. The Greg Hardy thing is, is so huge in so many ways that it is completely, as you say, overshadowed the Rolando McLean thing, which you know, may be just as important. Uh, he, he, he's not that far behind in terms of caliber of player. I mean, we're talking about one of them is an all-pro caliber and the other one's a pro bowl caliber. Um, but we'll we'll get to Rolando McLean in a bit. The Cowboys and Greg Hardy, I thought made uh, a a smart move. Let's let's get it out. Let's get the press conference, the first official press conference. By the way, not the first time that Greg Hardy has talked to the media. Everybody, right. all the people in the media who keep writing that because he hasn't talked to them. <laughs> Greg, Greg Hardy and Newey Scruggs and myself had a conversation at training camp, and you know. Again, here goes my blood pressure. And people know we had that conversation. Mm-hmm. And and yet, I guess to, to protect their own carcasses, are pretending that nobody ever said anything. We had the same deal with with ESPN last week with something saying, you know, it's it's been revealed. What was last week's big, big revelation? That was oh, Christian Michael. Right. It's been revealed on Friday. Everybody wrote that Christian Michael took first team snaps. Well, yeah, it was revealed on Wednesday when we revealed it. We're, you're 48 hours late on, on this thing, and nobody got to be, nobody needed to be late on Greg Hardy because word got around that he was going to speak in front of his locker, and speak he did for about 10 minutes. And if you separate him from his heinous involvement in a domestic violence act, and you and I can get on the guilty versus not found guilty all in a minute. If you get away from that, you cannot help but say that he was fascinating and eloquent and witty and frustrating and defiant and funny and deflective 98% of the time. And it was an extremely newsworthy visit, even separate from the domestic violence thing. You'll buy that? I'm 100% with it because I had a chance to watch a video uh, of, of him. And I implore everybody, you know, that's sitting here and reading headlines, headlines and quotes. First of all, they need to go to Cowboys HQ and read your tremendous write-up on the situation uh, after after they finish listening to this podcast about the headline porn and the things that he talked about. But yeah, it, it was it was enthralling to watch him and his interaction with the media, and I'm sure you'll talk to this later, and his dedication to this Cowboys team, which he used as a bit of a mask for some of the things that he was being asked about. But overall, right. you could tell his intent behind that was simply, I'm here to help this team in any way possible. So go ahead. Now, uh, so, so, so separate the Domestic Violence Act just for a moment. Because we can't forever. Because, and Because it, it'll never leave him either. And maybe never right. should leave him. Uh, he, that, that was a fascinating visit. Uh, and they, they don't they don't usually come come that that good anywhere. So that that was fun. 
in the middle of it, I find myself positioned next to him. So the camera is catching me and the microphones are catching me. And I find myself, for whatever reason, asking a bunch of the questions. I, uh, I had no idea I, was, I had that much of a smile on my face all the time. I, I knew I was that ugly, but I didn't know that I, was, that I found Greg Hardy so amusing. And, I'm, and I'm, maybe I made a mistake. Maybe, and this is Christine Brennan's part of her approach with me, when we talked after she wrote her column, uh, absolutely destroying Hardy, which she might be right about. He, he really might be a monster. And then, without naming me, absolutely destroying me, too, for being the dumbass who, uh, in her perception, got involved in a good old boy network, smoking cigars and talking about broads, is, is how it came across to her. Unfortunately, right. none of that is on camera, and I, I, don't, I can't find it on tape. So I can't prove with audio that her perception and what she sees in the transcripts a USA Today employee was standing right by there when it was basically me and Hardy talking and a couple guys standing around. So he was taking notes on everything, which is great. But his transcription of what I said is, is now being taken out of context to make it sound like, like I'm supporting the idea. Yeah, let's get that Giselle down here and all her sisters. And then if Blake Bortles has himself a hot wife, let's get that. And that's not even close to what it was. KD, had that been my, you know, you've got kids now, right? Yep, three of them. If that's your children, yeah, whether they're, whether they're six, 16, or 26 like he is, your, your involvement in that incident, I would, I would desire you to be, I, I, I would wish that you came across as re- repentant. Now, he might, be, he might be repentant in his heart, but not repentant when the cameras are on. And I'm, I'll cut him that slack. Christine Brennan from USA Today will not. She thinks he's a monster and that's that and should be treated as such. Uh, I, I didn't think that treating him as a monster was going to work in a press conference setting where I, I'm trying to get answers so Cowboy fans can hear what he has to say. I learned a long time ago from old Uncle Norm Hipskis. You know Norm, right? You know his work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He gets accused, and Norm's been doing this in Dallas for, I don't know, 45, 40 years, 45 years, something. He taught me a long time ago because people accuse him of asking softball questions on his radio interviews. And what he taught me is it's not about the question. It's about the answer. So it's not about the perception. You know, we've got reporters in Dallas who take real pride in, well, I'll tell you, that guy really, he really grinds on, he really gets chair. He goes after it. The value isn't in me gaining a reputation for being, you know, a, a tough guy. I don't care. The value is in the answer. And I thought Greg Hardy's answers were, as frustrating as they were at some time, I thought they were interesting. Even, even his deflective answers told a story. And they, you know, even when he said, God bless, to, to questions that offended him, that still tells right. a story. And exactly. I, so, so, and I, and I hope that I, I wrote that in an accurate way. And it's a column, so I get to say, I always cringe a little bit when I sense that an athlete is using his faith as a shield. It's, it's as, as something to, to say, well, I can't answer that question because of God. That, 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 that makes me cringe a little bit. At the same time, I, who am I to question what's in your heart? If, if you, maybe you really mean God bless. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not cynical enough to completely dismiss the idea that you rightly really mean it. But I will dismiss the notion 
that that Miss Brennan puts forward in USA Today that that my questions about how people look is sexist, and and that's what I'm being accused of today. Uh, and I I said this to Christine on the phone. I said, if you only knew me, because we've crossed paths, but she didn't really know me. I said I'm the last liberal in Texas. I said, <laughs> I, I, I said I share. You know, all, you know how people. A lot of people are down on political correctness. I said, no, I, political correctness is correct for me almost all the time. Political correctness simply means for me do the correct thing. So I'm on your team, Christine. Except when it comes to what we're supposed to do with Greg Hardy's, she says he's a monster. And and even to that, I say, so what? Oh, now, okay, okay, good. We let's agree. He's a monster. Now, what do we do? Do we should we should we kill him? Should we inject him with a lethal dose? Mm-hmm. Should we should we put him in an insane asylum and strap him to a bed? Okay, is he not employable? Should should nobody? Because that was my big thing with Dale Hansen when he was saying, well, they, nobody should employ him. Ever? In anything? That's for, for a guy who, now, again, I, it, it certainly appears to me like he was involved in a heinous act. You, do we, we agree on that, you and I? Well, I have my own opinion on that, but it, it does, there is definitely reason for people to believe that he was involved in what he was accused of. Yes. Okay. Now, now, check this out. I think you're going. I think you're going way too soft on him, and Christine Brennan thinks I'm being way too soft on him, even though I'm a hundred times harder than you. But what, what's escaping people's views here is, I, your opinion is just as valuable as mine is, and my opinion is just as valuable as Christine's is, and I don't see the need for us all to beat the shit out of each other because we have different opinions. <laughs> I, 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 I think it's. If, if he was in, if he was in prison, okay, then we wouldn't have to have different opinions. If he had been convicted and sent to prison for five years for domestic violence, there, there would be no argument, right? That, there, there, that, there would that, be no argument. I, I think the main, the main thing, and, and not to you know dive on top of it because we've obviously visited this over the summer when he was signed and all of those sorts of things and. Um, you know, when Hanson went on his rant and, you know, he had you on the show and everything like that. The issue for me is the idea that some people, depending on whatever it is that they did, that some people are beyond getting however you want to frame the idea of a second chance for the benefit of the doubt. The fact right. of the case stand to say that Greg Hardy did not get convicted of what he was accused of, whether you believe it or not. Based on the fact that he was not convicted, he is 100% employable, and to act as if somebody with his skill set, which is very unique as all NFL NFL players are, is unemployable or that they should be berated every time they step in front of a microphone or every time that their name comes up makes no sense. And all of the things that go along with the way that the North Carolina court system works from the judge before the jury trial and all of these things that get lost in the context of people saying he is a monster and he should be condemned forever. There still remains the fact that he was never convicted and therefore he is employable. And to think that you have to berate him on what he was charged with at every turn is idiotic. Agreed. I agreed with the last part for sure. That's, 
that my interview in a group session, my interview one-on-one, my interview tomorrow, my interview six months from now, that it has that I have to be judge, jury, and executioner of this monster. That's simply not realistic. Nor is Christine's view. Well, let me let me get into the Bortles thing. I explained it in the story. And I hope people get a chance to go read the story. And at the risk of sounding self-important, I think it's kind of important. The the context of the Blake Bortles wife thing, which has so many people upset, and they're upset because they, they, they aren't understanding the context, because all they're doing is reading the words in a newspaper. Right. He says that one of the reasons, and I'm, all this is paraphrasing, he says that one of the reasons, or the reason he's most excited about this weekend is because it's Tom Brady, and he's got an attractive wife. Have you seen his wife? Got an attractive wife. She's got attractive friends. She's got attractive sisters. I hope they all come to town. And and I laughed at that. I, I, I think that's a funny line. I don't think it's a destructive line. I don't think it's inappropriate that, that a 26-year-old man who was involved in what he was involved in gets to have say the word woman out of his mouth. I don't think that's inappropriate. Uh, and, but I, and so I said to him something about that. And then he says, yeah, I vote when I vote for the Pro Bowl, I vote for all the players with the most attractive wives. So we can all, you know, again, paraphrasing, so we can all go to Honolulu and hang out with the beautiful people. Now, I think that's funny. Mm-hmm. I wish it would have come out of, frankly, I wish it would have come out of the mouth of somebody who is not accused of being a domestic violence perp. That I guess it would be funnier. But, but it's, a, it's a funny, clever, kooky way of thinking. So when he says the thing about Tom Brady and, and Tom Brady's wife and Tom Brady's beautiful friends and how that's important for the game, what I say back to him is, oh, come on now. This could be, instead of being New England Brady Giselle in your mind, this could be Jacksonville Bortles. And I'm sure Blake Bortles' wife is pretty. That's exactly what I said. And I need you as a smart man to make sure I'm not nuts to tell me that you understand the, the, the metaphoric parallel that I'm going for there. Yeah. The way, the way I took that statement by you is you're not really saying that you're looking forward, that the highlight of your coming back is going to be sacking Tom Brady because he has an attractive wife. A lot of people have attractive wives. It wouldn't matter who the quarterback was. You're just kind of being, as you put it, being funny. And that's how I would have taken your bringing Blake Bortles and his wife as a comparison. Right. But obviously she didn't take it that way. And it's just, it's confounding to me. They have their justifiable campaigns to wage. And there you and go. I there support, you go. And I support Christine Brennan's campaign. I'm not on Greg Hardy's side. Now, you, you might be, and I think Cowboys Nation largely is, and even more of Cowboys Nation will be when he records a sack on Sunday against Tom Brady. Then all of a sudden we'll have the Dion effect, in effect. Right, he, right. He, we hated him when he wasn't ours. We love him that he's ours. It's a Seinfeldian laundry deal. And that's going to happen. The thing, is, the thing is, I'm, I'm not even on Greg's, Greg Hardy's side. I'm on the side of he wasn't convicted. I don't care who it is. If you're not convicted – and you're allowed to get employment because you're not incarcerated at the time, that's all I care about. 
I don't make yeah. personal judgments on the character of any of these guys that we follow. And I know a lot of sports fans do. You know, don't get me wrong. I know a lot of sports fans equate uh, players to heroes and they worry about the morality and all that kind of stuff. I don't care one bit about that because these kids, I, I don't have them raising my kid. Yep. So it makes no difference for me the type of person who's out there. But I understand the fact that it does for a lot of people because they invest so much more than just rooting for a team. So I, I get that aspect. It just doesn't apply to me. So when I say I don't care if Greg Hardy isn't in jail, if he was never convicted for this crime, then Greg Hardy is just another player for the Cowboys. And I think the fact that everybody is so 100% out of their mind over what he can and can't say, it makes no sense to me. And, of course, what he can and can't say was my only issue with this until it became an issue of what I can and can't say. My, <laughs> I, I'm glad that you see my Bortles example. I think there's some of my media friends, even in Dallas, on Twitter, that are pretending not to see it because they're, they're having fun watching me. Because you know how I, I like to play media watchdog. Also, you know, I'll sure call you out. So you know, if you want to call me out, I, I, I invite that, and I think it's fun, and I, and I want to learn something from it. And I told that to, to Miss Brennan. I said, I, I want to learn something. Well, then she started lecturing me on, on, how, on how talking about the, the looks of a subject is sexist. And I said, with, with all the greatest respect, because I do, I, I, she's, she's just terrific at what she does. Uh, I pointed out that I've been doing the same job that she has for the exact same amount of time. We're the same age. We both got, she started in 1981, I started in 1982, writing for a newspaper. She's bigger and better and, and gifted, and, and I'm just a, another uh, slapstick. But, but I, you know, I take my crappy little job as seriously as she takes her incredibly large job. I said, Christine, you can't possibly mean, and again, keep in mind, I wasn't even talking about Blake Bortles' real wife. I wasn't even talking about Blake Bortles. It was, right. it was generic quarterback X with his imaginary quarterback spouse. And, and, and my point to Greg Hardy was, not that you do care about Greg Hardy, about Bortles' wife's looks. My point is, you don't care about him. And somehow that's been totally twisted around. So Christine says to me, well, I, it's inappropriate. It's, it's sexism to talk about people's looks in our profession. And I said, Christine, you've been doing this for 34 years. Surely you've written a profile on George Clooney and mentioned that he was handsome. You know, I've never mentioned anybody. Well, son of a bitch. You know, I, went and I had to go Google it. I Googled Christine Brennan, good hyphen looking. And up they come. <laughs> of course yep. she has. She, she, her, she has a book in 2006. There's a whole chapter on the U.S. women's soccer team and how Mia Hamm is good looking. And it also mentions that Michael Jordan is good looking. And that can't possibly be offensive to anybody because, because Mia Hamm and Michael Jordan are, by American conventions, good looking. And I'm trying to, and I'm arguing peacefully with, with Ms. Brennan, trying to say, you can't write a story. You can't write a certainly not a 6,000-word magazine piece on Matthew McConaughey. If he comes to lunch with you with his shirt off, you're not going to write that he has his shirt <laughs> off? And the same thing with, with athletes. The fact that, uh, you know, pick a guy. The, the, the fact that, you know, Des Bryant is good-looking is 
uh, and it's funny that it's funny that popped in my head. The Rolling Stone article on Des Bryant, if you recall, begins by by mentioning him in the same looks breath with Denzel Washington. I mean, right? Is that what it says? Like with Denzel? Mm-hmm. Do I am I remembering that right? No, I believe so. The writer calls him like Denzel like. Well, first of all, no, you're not, Des. <laughs> you don't look like you do not look like Denzel. But it's it's impossible to talk about the world of Des Bryant without mentioning that that he's he's made himself into an attractive physical person. You, it's impossible if you write a six thousand word story. You can't just you're not going to just write the whole thing about how many yards he's going to get this year. You get you can't write a David Letterman profile without mentioning his gap too. You you can't write a story about Carrot Top without mentioning his hair. That's it's it's in our DNA to look and think and observe and evaluate and analyze people's looks. And that's and I, and, I, and Christine disagrees with me, and she's accidentally hypocritical about it because she's done the same thing I've done, except I didn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't say anything about Blake Bortles' real wife. She points out in USA Today, a good journalist would know that he doesn't even have a wife. I don't care. That's not the <laughs> point, Christine. And I said to her, so would it be okay with you if I would have said to Greg Hardy, if we would have been talking about which players have handsome fathers? You can't, that's not for... I, 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 that, that, I couldn't go. That's as far as I could go. If, if you don't think, if you don't think it's appropriate that when I first met Tony Romo's dad, that I thought it was, I thought it was interesting how much he looks like his son, his, a smaller version of his son, and you don't think it's appropriate for me to write that Antonio Romo looks like Antonio Romo, then I can't believe we're in the same business. So there's my, there's my USA Today, Christine Brennan, Greg Hardy, Blake Bortles, Screed. <laughs> and now I, I can't – I'm sure Jacksonville fans are going to get on my ass next. Why am I picking on them? <laughs> Are you making fun of our women? Oh, I, yeah, all four I, of them. I just I, – I picked the – I picked what I view to be presently the antithesis of the Patriots situation, which would be the Jaguars situation. No offense was intended – and for somebody to take offense, I think you have to be digging for it. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's especially strange when in that uh, in that Google search that you did on Christine Brennan in her book, she wrote about an article she wrote that started with "Good-looking people, be they Mia Hamm or Michael Jordan, interest us more than ugly people." That's not sexism. That w- that's reality. Right. Right. So, right. How do you get on the soapbox and then tell somebody that anytime you talk about being somebody being attractive or not is sexism. So let, let's she wrote in her book. <laughs> Go ahead. And by the way, I don't, I don't want to get into a war with Christine Brennan. That that's not my intent. We're all, I, I, as I told her numerous times, I'm, I'm here to learn. I don't, I don't have all the answers. If Christine Brennan can teach me something, I want to learn it. But if what she's trying to teach me is we can never, ever, ever, Think about, talk about, or voice a description of somebody's looks. Then I'm in. Not only am I in the wrong business, but I'm in the wrong. I'm I, I, I human. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. No, it, it is what it is, man. Um, you, you know, I, 
outside of our working relationship, um, me and you have spoken many times about situations that come into media scrutiny. Uh, and, you know, when, when the Hardy st- situation broke, you were one of the most vocal people here on the podcast and in writing saying that you did not agree with what he had been charged with. So I definitely know where you're coming from and to, to have it alluded to that you have any kind of stance in support of domestic violence, domestic violence perpetrators is just flat out wrong. Uh, so you, you don't have to go to, go to war with her. You know how I roll. I'll go to war with her. Who am I? I got 4,000 followers. Don't nobody care about me. <laughs> so. Well, and, and again, her, uh, she's well-meaning and, but not more well-meaning than I am. I, I cannot, because uh, Deion Sanders has done something wrong or Michael Irvin's done something wrong or, or Josh Hamilton's done something wrong, I am not going to make a frowny face every time I'm on camera talking to them. That's, that's foolish. <laughs> and and if, if, if I'm interviewing, I, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think of a, of a hor- horrific world leader. When Dan Rather is interviewing a horrific world leader, he, he's not for – I don't know why I picked Dan Rather. Give me a, give me a more recent – Give me the me that, um, what's that Gloria Vanderbilt kid? <laughs> <laughs> you know, whoever it is. If if, if and I, I'm not I, I'm not obliged to make a frowny face just because I disagree with with their actions. My my interviewing Greg Hardy is not support of Greg Hardy. My interviewing Greg Hardy is my job. I, I thought I asked questions that got good answers, and maybe I'll circle back tomorrow and ask another question. In fact, KD. Maybe the fact that I asked questions that got good answers and developed even the tiniest bit of rapport, maybe, will we'll lead to him we'll opening open up. up. Will open up the possibility to him giving a more sincere. God bless you. If if uh, there was anything insincere about the dozen he gave yesterday. <laughs> there it is. All right, let's move on to some stuff on the field before we let you go, man. Because uh, obviously, as we talked about uh, at the beginning that things were open, you were able to talk to everybody, and we referenced it. Rolando McClain returned to practice today. Very important. Middle linebacker for the Dallas Cowboys. How are things going there? Yeah, it looked to me like in the early drills, there was a couple things that he sat out, but he is not listed uh, on the injury report. So uh, that that would make him a relatively full participant, and that is terrific. I'll say this. He looks thicker. If that's possible, because he's already he was already he's a big man. His, yeah, he's a big dude. His legs, yeah, uh, his his legs look bigger. Uh, he he is he is as always a physically imposing guy. Uh, this was a good start uh, on on Wednesday to having him contribute on Sunday. I, I'm not guaranteeing it yet. The Cowboys can't guarantee it, but it's a good start. All right, one of the things that we talk about uh, on Cowboys Twitter is the fact that. It's like a unicorn trying to get Rolando McClain and Sean Lee on the field together. And sure enough, the week before McClain returns, Sean Lee gets knocked out of the Saints game with a concussion. So he didn't practice today. Have you heard anything? I know that they're intimating that he's going to be fine and available. Have you heard any anything as far as how far along he is in the concussion protocol? Well, here's the old exclusive exclusive. He is hitting the accelerator in trying to go find every possible way to pass the concussion test, and that shouldn't surprise anybody. He is doing uh, the hyperbaric oxygen chamber, which pumps oxygen into your cells, uh, causing you to heal quicker. Uh, he's doing 
eye exercises and he's doing balance exercises. And the eye and the balance uh, are, to, to my view, they, they have a dual role. One, they're designed to help you Im, uh, improve where you're at, but they're also designed to help you gauge where you're at. And so uh, those are important parts. Now, those aren't like the, the NFL protocol rules. Those are what, some of the, the tools that an athlete can use, and Sean Lee is certainly using those, trying to realize the same linebacking dream that you have. Because he wants to be <laughs> in the same field with Ron McClain, too. Yeah, it'd be, it would be great to see. It would mean a lot for the Cowboys, especially if they had to have a pass rush in front of them. And facing this oncoming onslaught of the uh, New, New England Patriots offense, they need all hands on deck. So it would be a beautiful thing, even if, you know, based on conditioning and, and game shape and all those all those factors, we don't have McLean for a, a full game. Getting him out there for 30 to 40 snaps would be tremendous. And, and that could easily be handled by having, you know, Sean Lee and Anthony Hitchens running the nickel and you take McLean out in those situations or something of that sort. Right. Uh, yeah. But you know what? We were talking today. We were talking, KD, today on the fan on, on G Bag Nation about, okay, and so who's the third linebacker? And I'm, you know, you know Hitchens or whatever, but I'm kind of arguing, is that really important who's the, the third linebacker of the three on the field at the same time are? Because how often do NFL teams even do that anymore? So if you can, if you can mix and match against their personnel, with some of the names that you just threw out there, then, you know, then, then this wouldn't be a Rolanda McClain 70 snap game anyway, because right. of the mix and match. So yeah, I, that, that's a good number. And uh, we'll monitor that as we go on. All right. Next topic. Jason Garrett said in his press conference that nothing would change about his running back rotation based on obviously the whole Joseph Randall benching, uh, except for the fact that Lance Dunbar is no longer there, which to me is kind of a big deal. Because Lance Dunbar is the most explosive offensive weapon, as I spoke to Joey Ikes about uh, earlier on the show. So have you seen anything to indicate that this might be a bit of a smokescreen? Do you have any inclination that Michael will get more run or that McFadden might have overtaken Randall as a number one? Is there anything that you're seeing or hearing scuttlebutt around that changing the order of the bats? Well, there's a little smokescreen going on in the organization uh, that comes from Jerry Poppins, who went on the fan <laughs> and said that Joe Randall was not benched in New Orleans for disciplinary reasons at all. And that's simply false. The, right. the Joseph Randall, uh, George Gervin finger roll slash Jennifer Gray jumping into Patrick Swayze's <laughs> arms and dirty dancing touchdown. Uh, and then his response to it, apparently on the sideline, and then again in the locker room, which is basically – I don't see what the problem is. I scored a touchdown is, is uh, brain blasting to his bosses who have worked with him since all the way back to Oxnard this last summer about we, we prefer that you burrow. And if you go back and look at the replay of that touchdown, there is absolutely a left guard hole. There's a tunnel. It's wide open. And all he has to do is lay down in the tunnel. And instead, he, he, chose, he chooses, again, to be Peter Pan. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I, was, I was surprised when Garrett said there'll be no change in the rotation. So surprised that I, I'm not ready to believe it yet. I, I think that you've got to go back in the backyard uh, and say we're having a competition at running back. And I think, you, I think they should do it every Wednesday. Every Wednesday is a competition. Therefore, Joe, if you – Goof up 
we'll, we're going to the next guy. Or if you if you shoplift, we don't we don't care this time. We'll go to the next guy. And uh, far be it for me to pretend like I'm a better message giver than Jason Garrett. So, so, so at the risk of being presumptuous, that's that's my message. Uh, maybe maybe it means the rotation stays the same, but it doesn't mean the carries stay the same. How about that? Right. What, that. what if Joe Randall still starts the game, but but Darren McFadden is the third down back? And the backup running back who takes McFadden's old carries, what if that's Chris and Michael? Uh, and, again, I'm just throwing that out there. I don't know that. So uh, I, I, would, I would highly doubt that, that sitting on a Wednesday, the Cowboys coaching staff is, has already set in stone exactly who's doing what on Sunday. That seems unwise to me. All right, let's go one position up in the backfield. Quarterback depth chart, have you seen or heard anything that gives you concrete belief about Brandon Whedon either being in trouble or being backed up by Castle instead of Kellen Moore? Has there been any inclination or indication, I should say, uh, about what's going on with the quarterback that you're, that you're aware of? Yeah, I don't think there's a Brandon Whedon change. I think the circumstance is the same. I think calm, rational, cowboy brains uh, can see that he's done, he's done his job of a bus driver which is to put his team in position to have a chance to win. And, he, and he, he did that in Philadelphia, and they won. He did it against Atlanta, and they scored 28 first-half points, even though he made two horrific throws. And uh, boy, they, they, he, he did it in New Orleans. I mean, he went and forged, the, went and forged overtime in New Orleans uh, on the road against Drew Brees. And, and then the Cowboys have a defensive breakdown, and Brandon Whedon, is not going to tackle C.J. Spiller, so <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not defending Brandon Whedon as much as I am defending the job of the bus driver. This is what you were supposed to get out of him. You've gotten what you're supposed to get out of him. If you got this exact same thing from Matt Castle, but everybody else played the exact same way, you'd be two and two again. Yep, pretty much. All right, last thing. Uh, we are now getting, we're one week away from the bye, which means that we're two weeks away from the projected return of Randy Gregory and Des Bryant. Have you seen or heard anything on either one of those two that leads you to believe either way that this is definitely coming for both guys or that there might be a, a pitch in the comeback plans for either, either uh, one of them? Uh, yeah, bumped into both guys briefly on Wednesday on Randy Gregory. The, the coolest thing to the story to tell on him is, you know, he didn't practice, but as he's coming out to watch a little bit, here comes along with a gift of Calvin Hill, here comes me and Joe Green. And, and I'm thinking if I'm a Cowboy fan, I'm thinking, you know what? Because he lives in Denton or Flower Mound, whatever. Uh, and, you know, me and Joe Green is going to go give a speech to Randy Gregory and to Greg Hardy and to Tank Lawrence and Wow. And then, then Rod Marinelli came up and grabbed him and said, thanks for coming, dragged him out there, and, and they all huddled around me and Joe Green, the defensive line guys. Uh, I, I, don't, I don't think Randy Gregory, you know, he didn't practice today. Uh, Stephen Jones kept, keeps saying, you know, later, later, later. Garrett keeps saying, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Um, so no progress there yet, and we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. On Dez, uh, I bumped into him, and he's wearing the uh, the oxygen deprivation mask. You know what that is? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's the mask that uh, basically 
it, it basically, I, I think it works as it basically increases your lung capacity because you're being starved of oxygen. So basically it makes it, 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 it allows you to work harder, I guess is, is the best way to phrase it. Yeah, you're right on the money. It, it builds up your cardiovascular, it builds up your lung power, but it builds up faster. The same reason that, 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 that bicyclists or runners train in Colorado. It's, it simulates the lack of oxygen available to you, making your lungs have to get bigger and work harder and be more powerful. So he's wearing that thing. He's walking around. I don't believe he had a boot on. And, you know, he tried to say hello, but he had a mask on, KD. So it wasn't <laughs> – <laughs> he might have said a lot of fascinating things, but I couldn't hear him. Uh, I, I, I can just say what I said all along with him. The Cowboys always said – we think the bone can heal in, eight, in six weeks, and we think he can return in eight weeks or fewer. And where are we now? I guess this would be week number four. Uh, Sunday would be four weeks from the incident. Okay. Is that right or five? Well, it happened in week know. one, so week two is one week, week three is two weeks, week four is three weeks, and week five would be four weeks. So, yeah, four weeks, and then the bye week would be five, and then if he's ready in six weeks, that would be ready on the date of the Giants game. I, I can promise you that he is telling himself, I'm going to play against the Giants, and that he will be only cleared to do so if that thing is 100%. They, they fully understand the risk of sending a guy out there who's 70% and having him re-break it, and the next thing you know, he's Ahmad Bradshaw for the rest of his life. So as he told me the other day, he said, I'm – I'm extremely aggressive and not at all foolish. And and there that's still go. where we're at. But I but but boy it, it looked good. You know, when he's walking around with no boot and he's and he's doing the extra thing, because here's the trick, and I it's just popped in my head just now. If you're if you're using the oxygen deprivation mask, you're not doing it while you're sitting I mean you could, but you're probably not doing it while you're sitting in an easy chair, right? No, you're working out. Yeah, you're working out. You're exercising, yeah. So I, I would say I would say that that's a sign that he has stepped up his exercise program to whatever level and that, that uh, now they're even going to work on the details like increasing his lung power. It, it's good stuff and good news. And there it is, the one and only Mike Fisher, ladies and gentlemen, with all of the insight. Thank you, brother. All right, man. We'll talk again soon. is worth more than a deuce. He is worth all that and then some, the one and only on Twitter at Keith Deuces. But here in real life, Mr. Keith Mullins has joined us on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. My man, Keith, how goes it, sir? Outstanding in every way. How are you, sir? I have absolutely no complaints. It has been a firestorm. We just got finished talking to my man, Fish, uh, about everything that's going on with the Greg Hardy situation. Uh, and we were talking offline about, you know, where you stood prior to the season when we were discussing all of the uh, free agent targets 
and and you mentioned the fact that you were like, you know, outside of talent, Greg Hart is going to come with a bunch of firestorm, and I think it really exploded today into pretty much what you thought it was going to be. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that the club knew uh, very well what they were getting into with this signing. Uh, uh, There was a little bit of uh, desperation around it uh, in terms of pass rush. You know, you were fresh off of watching uh, peg leg Aaron Rodgers uh, hobble around and and carve you (laughs) up in Lambeau. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, you couple that with this club is very aware of how fast windows close and, and what a fleeting thing, a really good contending you know caliber roster can be so so uh you know we weren't signed i mean aside from the fact that it was a, a bold stroke uh the signing made sense you know they found a contract that protected them and uh and addressed the, their biggest need addressed the reason that they got bounced out of the playoffs so so uh to have him finally here uh, uh in the flesh uh was was certainly uh, good to see. And again, I don't think that the national reaction should have been any surprise to anyone. Uh, I think Cowboys fans, with the help of people like Joey uh, Ikes, who who obviously did a ton of research on all of the publicly available information about Greg's case and put it out there uh, for folks uh, to be able to access and form their own opinions. And, you know, and, but Cowboys fans, quite a few went out of their way to, uh, to investigate that. Right to find out, can I stomach cheering for this guy? And, uh, but national fans aren't going to do that. National media guys, we always talk about them being uh, too far out of touch with specific teams to, uh, to be able to do that level of homework. And so, so I think the reaction nationally was, was pretty right on par with what I expected. Um, you know, you, on social media, you saw Cowboys fans trying to fight back, and, and I think that immediately gets you just lumped in uh, as a as – a, domestic violence supporter and all of these things. So, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, the PR piece would have been tough to stomach. And I said that, you know, way back when, when we talked about the off season starting, but, uh, but there were enough things about that, that, uh, that I said, you know, I'll make my opinions at least based on uh, what Greg Hardy does as a football player here. And I think the club was willing to do that too. And from everything we've heard his uh, his impression on his teammates, on the coaches, the front office has all been extremely positive. Well, now now let's transition that to what we're expecting to see with them on the field because that is, for me, what is most paramount about the situation of having these guys on the roster. How can they affect things on the field? So let's talk, first of all, we would imagine that Greg Hardy, as, well, as long as he's in shape and he's been working out and we have no reason to believe that he hasn't been, uh, he's going to take starter snaps at right defensive end. He is that caliber of player that you plug him immediately right into the, into the lineup. What does that do for the rest of the defensive line and the rotation in your mind? Do you, who do you think is going to get the start opposite him, first of all? And then how does it trickle down for the rest of the line? Yeah, you know, I think that uh, unless, you know, and Greg was running around the State Fair of Texas uh, since he couldn't get the facility. He was there last week the same day that I was. So unless he got mm-hmm. into way too much of the uh, chicken fried lobster and champagne gravy, then uh, I don't think he's a guy you have to worry about being in shape. Uh, you know, right. from from everything we've heard, this guy is pretty fanatical about his preparation, and so so I think as far as the in shape piece, I think he's going to be ready to take significant snaps on Sunday. And uh, of course, the team gets a one week roster exemption that they aren't going to use, obviously, for these guys because the state of the roster, such as it is, any infusion of talent is a great thing. So uh, so we've seen part of the cavalry now ride over the hill and and show up on the circle wagons and see if they can help. 
So, but I think that immediately Hardy steps in as the starter at right defensive end. Um, certainly gives, you know, we've seen this team still struggle to get home with the rush. Uh, I know that Demarcus Lawrence on the left side has taken a lot of heat for uh, only producing one sack to this point. But as I watched those games, I thought that Lawrence put together quite a few really good rushes, but he's the only guy drawing attention. So, you know, you mm-hmm. see Demarcus Lawrence get blocked by a tackle, chipped by a tight end, or blocked by a tackle and chipped by a running back. And, uh, you know, because the Cowboys don't blitz a ton, you know, teams get to focus on those four. And out of the four, that's the guy that, uh, that was drawing all of the attention. So I think that Demarcus Lawrence is an immediate beneficiary because I think he still starts on the left side. Uh, he gives you so much more, especially the way, he, you know, the way he was getting off the ball in New Orleans. Um, you know, he's continued to improve and sort of grow into, uh, to, you know, the improvements that he made physically over his, uh, you know, what has amounted to his red shirt, his medical red shirt season last year. So I think that, and, and I think he's played the run really well. I think the reason they were comfortable moving him to the left side in the first place, besides the fact that he played there at Boise, was that he played the run so well as a rookie, uh, even as he was, you know, sort of feeling his way as a rusher. So I, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when I look at it as, you know, we know the Cowboys have had trouble with the run, um, at least in the Atlanta game. But I don't, you know, I don't think that Demarcus Lawrence was at fault for that. I think he's done a great job on the edge. He does a he does a really good job of uh, keeping his outside shoulder free. Uh, you know, some of sort of the tenets of being able to play on the strong side and uh, and turn that action back inside where you've got help. And uh, and now, of course, oh my, does he have help? You know, in the form of uh, the looming presence of Rolando McLean at Mike linebacker uh, when he when he is able to turn runs back inside. So I think that Lawrence continues to start out there. And then we start to see now as this personnel uh, sort of reaches uh, its full group. Uh, we, we won't have it yet until Gregory comes back, uh, hopefully after the bye here. But as the personnel increases, then we'll start to see uh, Marinelli get more flexibility in terms of the games that he can do. You know, I think Greg Hardy's an excellent guy to do a lot of the twists with that uh, that Marinelli does like to do as far as the games up front, and so you know you can when you can couple you know you can put Mincy in at that tackle spot. Uh, obviously, we saw Irving show up, and the Cowboys thought enough of him that a defensive tackle was another one of the releases they made to clear room for these right. guys and Ken Bishop, right? So so I think that you know you take someone that's very you know Irving's extremely athletic based on you know what he was able to do uh, in his pre-draft workouts, and so you know he's a guy good three cones. So that shows good, you know, good flexibility, especially for a guy that's six, seven to be able to sink right. the hips and, uh, and turn and change direction. And so, you know, with that kind of agility and that's, and that's really Hardy's calling card and has been since he was at Ole Miss, you know, Hardy, Hardy was a guy that was a sixth round pick. We've talked a lot about fifth metatarsals, of course, with Dez and Demarcus Lawrence last year, breaking that bone in the foot. Hardy broke it his junior year at Ole Miss. And so he went in the sixth round, but probably would have gone much higher if he hadn't broken the foot and then re-aggravated it in the car accident before his senior year. So, uh, so, so he's someone that's very familiar with the, uh, the rehab and things that these guys are going through, but also a good sign. He's a guy that aside from re-injuring it in a car accident, but he's a guy that can't, has come back to have an extraordinarily productive uh, NFL career after breaking that bone in his foot. So, but, uh, but so I think that Hardy starts right. Lawrence left, you get Mincy ability to spell them both. But I think where it gets exciting now is you start to see some of those nickel packages that we saw right. throughout OTAs and camp start to come into play, where you can put Mincy inside with Crawford or Irving, either either one, 
And then with Hardy and Lawrence outside, you have the ability to run some twists. You have the ability to heat up all of those spots, you know. So you put Mincy inside, and he's going to take advantage of guards. You know, he, he may not consistently get the edge in the NFL outside, but, uh, but he's quicker than guards inside and, uh, and still has the power to be able to fight through. Uh, you know, Crawford, we know, we know what he can do. We want to see him get home a little more as well. But, but I think when you start to – now you start to put the group together, then where does an offense focus his attention? Obviously, Hardy's going to draw it, but, you know, you're going to start to see Lawrence come free more. You're going to start to see Crawford find – these guys will find more space as the talent level of that group goes up. And then I think what we – the ultimate pairing that we – or grouping that we all want to see is the one that we saw in training camp where you saw Randy Gregory and Lawrence outside with Hardy and Crawford inside, and, uh, and we're not too far away from seeing that group either. Hopefully just one more game. I think it's very interesting in uh, the, the fact that Jeremy Mincy, obviously he has been on the right defensive end uh, in the three games he played. He obviously missed the Atlanta game because of the concussion that he suffered against Philadelphia. But he seems to, as we noted in the offseason, he's much more effective rushing, as you just alluded to, from the interior than he is on the outside. For me, I don't think that he has the juice necessary, and I, I coined the phrase over the summer, if Jeremy Mincy is your top defensive end, you're in a world of trouble. But if Jeremy Mincy is your fourth best defensive end, you have a really good rotation going on. And I think we're uh, uh, probably just one more game, including the bye week, away from seeing that once Randy Gregory comes back and we can shift Mincy to more spot duty on the left side, inside of the three technique, uh, to be able to affect the game. The only problem that I had with Demarcus Lawrence and his uh, – edge setting or when, when it come to the, when it came to the run was there, there were some plays that I saw uh, and you're obviously more of a film rat than I am, but there, there were some plays that I saw in Atlanta where he did not handle his edge responsibility, but he's been practicing on the left side and he is more at home on the left side. So, you know, when you're just watching and you see somebody run past him, it's easy to say, Oh, well, he's not doing his job, but the footwork difference between the right and the left side is so dynamic for any player, you know, whether it be an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, shifting sides of the line really does have an impact on the technique that you use. And for a young player who hasn't been in the league for a long time, I kind of gave him a pass because we've seen him very well play on the left side and, and, and stop the run so far this year. Uh, I think it's more of, an, uh, of a situation where it was a lack of practice for the 2015 season why he had some complications in stopping the run. So I am altogether 100% all in on him being the edge setting left defensive end moving forward as long as there is somebody capable on the right side to draw the double teams and draw the attention of the opposing offense. Well, and I think that that's one thing with Hardy too, that uh, I think people have forgotten how good Greg Hardy is, right? It's been right. so long that he's been absent, but this is a guy that, what is the numbers at 27 sacks in his last 32 NFL games? Uh, yep. So, but not only as a pass rusher where he's relentless, where he, where he gets the edge with seeming ease, uh, you know, he gets off the ball very quick, he's got that bend, and then he's got the ability to close and shorten the distance to the quarterback very quickly. Uh, but he's an outstanding run player as well. So yes, Hardy's he is. A big, uh, he's a big defensive end, right? Every bit uh, an NFL 4-3 defensive end as far as size is concerned. So, uh, so with him playing that side – you know, you're, you're definitely going to have someone that can hold up against the run as well. So I think all of a sudden you become very stout, um, at least in the pairing, 
And if, if Lawrence struggles against the run at all, you do have the ability to put Mincy out there. But I actually think that Lawrence did a better job on the left side um, than we saw Mincy do sometimes late last year. So I think, I think that actually Lawrence's technique was such that, uh, that it gave the coaching staff comfort with putting him out there. Uh, so I expect to see a lot more of Mincy inside, except when he's just spelling someone on the, on the edge. Uh, I did see, you know, there are some things too. Contains a funny thing because you have to try and understand what they're doing schematically because sometimes the end will have it, but other times it's going to go to that linebacker on that side. I know the Cowboys try not to give it to the will on the right side, uh, their weak linebacker, and, you know, which has been Sean Lee all year, uh, because they want to have him to have the ability to freelance. But very often when the Cowboys are playing with all three linebackers, the Sam linebacker will have it right on the left side rather than the left defensive end. And so, I, you know, I saw a couple plays where, um, you know, I, I talked about in the Atlanta game uh, that Kyle Wilbur had a very rough game at Sam. And there were a couple plays where Lawrence went inside, which he could only do if he didn't have contain responsibility. And, uh, and then the Sam linebacker was very late to fill or didn't squeeze and op- actually opened up the gap that Freeman ended up running through. So, so I think they've had some inconsistency in the run fits from the linebackers. And so we talked about how it bumps everyone down a rung on the depth chart on the defensive line. Likewise, Rolando McLean stepping in at Mike linebacker does the same for that linebacking group. So, yes, sir. you know, they probably only play 20% of the snaps with a Sam, although Atlanta forced them into a pretty high number with all of the two back sets they wanted to run. Uh, so the Sam was on the field more, got a little more exposed, I thought. And then you saw Gatchkar play Sam right away in New Orleans, right? So I, I, to me, that wasn't the need to have Wilbur available to play some right defensive end as much as it was a performance note on early downs that they might like Gatchkar better at Sam than they did right. uh, than they did uh, Kyle Wilbur because I thought Gatchkar did very well when he filled in at Sam earlier in his career he did. Uh, with, San, he did. with San Diego. So um, he's a very active guy. So uh, so he's one that an acquisition I've been impressed with. So I think that the run fits start to clean up behind the defensive line, and as the defensive line gets more talented it makes it easier for the linebackers to fill because the defensive linemen do a better job of holding their lanes and their gap responsibilities. So uh, it, it all just starts to get cleaner. Uh, and, and then, you know, you don't find yourself as a run play starts to develop screaming at the TV, yelling fill and when looking for where the heck the linebacker is coming to fill it because he's got a much cleaner path to the hole. So, so I think that we'll start to see them get better uh, in both phases. The one place that we want to see them get better that they have much less control over is not playing so much. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, we, we talked a ton uh, in the offseason uh, last year about how the team's uh, remarkable third down efficiency uh, contributed to helping the defense out. And that's it's not been, happening. Uh, notably <laughs> absent in the absence of a starting quarterback. So uh, for all of the, uh, the bus driver credit, uh, <laughs> That the, that the quarterback gets, if that's not translating to first downs and it's not translating to touchdowns in the red zone, but rather field goals, I mean, that, that is kind of what you get with, uh, with quarterback two uh, starting, but, but, that's, but that's the problem, right? It puts a tremendous amount of pressure on everybody else uh, anytime. Is, is there anyone that doesn't think that Tony Romo would have hung 35 on the Saints? <laughs> I, I, I certainly would be pretty comfortable that it would have been more than 20. Uh, so, so, they, so as long as they continue to struggle there, I think that they hopefully will see uh, the offensive line pick up and they can stay ahead of the chains a little better. Uh, as, as you well know, pre-snap penalties have been, or, or holding calls also, 
have been killing them and, and putting them behind the chains on early downs. So, uh, so I think that, you know, be, beyond the Patriots, when we know the size of the mountain between the Cowboys and, and, uh, you know, it starts at the gap between quarterbacks, but uh, we know the size of the mountain that the Patriots represent, but you've got several weeks here uh, against teams that are nowhere near that strong. And you got to find a way to, uh, to pick up a win or two uh, before your quarterback comes home. Yeah, and the third down conversion percentage that you just mentioned, it's obviously uh, highlighted in my advanced stats notebook uh, that comes out on Thursdays on Cowboys HQ. But the Cowboys are down to 25th in the league at 34, 34.15% uh, converting third downs. In their last game, it was just 25% in the three games, Philadelphia, Atlanta, New Orleans. It is just 26.67%. It is an abysmal stat especially for a team that last year, basically for the entire year, uh, New Orleans passed them in week 17. Pretty much, I believe it was 14 out of the 17 weeks of the season. They were number one in third down conversion percentage last year, and it has fallen very far, very quickly for the team. And you just can't do that. Yeah. Uh, it's going to be one of the keys to the game against New England because they are at the top of the league in third down conversion percentage for 2015 at 60%, which is an ungodly number. Uh, the Cowboys finished last year at 47% and they were first in the league. So for a team to be at 60% through three games, you already know the importance of the Cowboys being able to convert their third downs in order to have any semblance of an opportunity to pull the upset on Sunday. Yeah, you know, and I, I, was, I always talk about I think that the, the three most telling statistics are third down percentage offensively, third down percentage defensively, and, and turnover margin. And the Cowboys aren't turning people over like they did last year, and turnovers are, are uh, you know, notoriously fickle, right, and in terms of the ability to repeat them. They certainly require the offense to make a rather large mistake to give you the opportunity to turn a team over. So uh, I think that this is another area, though, where pass rush helps. Uh, Rolando McLean's the type of guy that uh, that will put his hat on a football, that will rip at the football. Uh, we saw him get to a couple of interceptions. So, uh, so I think that again, that that talent, adding talent, adding range, uh, adding pressure players, uh, contributes to mistakes, whether we see it this week or not. And so, uh, so hopefully, hopefully, you know, if you really want to help out your your backup quarterback led offense, it would be great if you didn't ask him to go 80 yards every time. Uh, so, and not only does not only does setting him up with a short field every once in a while uh, contribute to that, but uh, you know, I, I know you and I talked offline uh, this week about uh, the ghost of Bill Parcells and how he'd be screaming about <laughs> about hidden yardage in the return. They game. don't care. Uh, and the Cowboys don't <laughs> care. <laughs> they've clearly decided that they don't need returners. <laughs> that, uh, so that wherever you catch it, it'll just be will just be fine. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I ranted about it in the uh, in, yeah I, I ranted about it in the opening monologue. Um, obviously referencing my article from earlier in the week about the mistakes that I feel that the coaching staff is making, uh, and none more so than the fact that now we are without Lance Dunbar for the rest of the year, based on having him being the guy that can uh, fair catch and, and take a take a knee in the end zone better than Lucky Whitehead. It is so frustrating. But I'm not going yeah, on another I, rant right now. We're going to let that go. <laughs> I, I didn't mean to stir you up, but, uh, but yes, of, of pre- for a front office that has uh, that has made all the right moves uh, essentially for a couple of seasons, that's one of a right. precious few missteps recently. Uh, was has been the failure to replace Dwayne Harris and his uh, return role on both punts and kickoffs. In my opinion, I mean, they they literally just said, you know what, screw it, whatever we got, we'll make it work. 
like, okay, I'm not going there. I've already done it once. The listeners don't need to hear it again. But I completely agree with you that they screwed up in not addressing this. And as the offense has developed into what it is now, it was just a complete misstep to continue on that path when you had other options. But that's it. We're going to leave it at that. Hopefully, we will have something good to talk about next week. I know a lot of Cowboys Nation is has pretty much resigned themselves this week being a loss. Uh, you can't blame them. New, uh, New England is a juggernaut. Uh, the Cowboys are not on offense right now. The defense, even though they are getting bodies back, we don't know how much they can play or how well they were, will perform. Uh, game speed is not the same as working out in a gym. Uh, so there is going to be some concern about uh, just how much impact Hardy and McLean can have, no matter how well a shape that they stayed in. Uh, but it's the light. It's kind of one of those things where you're, you know, you're entering the tunnel and you, you walk in and it's dark and there's just a glimmer of light to the Cowboys getting these guys back. And if they can pull out, if they can pull off the upset of all upsets, because I mean, the Patriots are scoring like, as I referenced it in the intro, they're, they're on the double middle finger tour. They don't care. They want to embarrass everybody in the NFL, go undefeated, and then snatch the trophy out of Roger Goodell's hands in Santa Clara. That's their whole MO for the season. So Greg Hardy talking about Tom Brady's wife, they don't care because they were already going to try to hang 50 on the Cowboys anyway. There's no extra motivation for this team. But if they can pull off the upset, if they can do it, man, that'll be so satisfying. Yeah, I think it will be uh, certainly, even regardless of the outcome this week, uh, the return of two guys that are so dynamic, and and it remains to be seen if they're going to have Sean Lee this week. Uh, you know, I know that uh, he hasn't cleared the concussion protocol yet. Um, we'll see if he does. Uh, of course he wants to play. But if he doesn't, you know, then, then Hitchens has to play there. Uh, you know, if not, Hitchens kind of goes back to being the Swiss Army knife uh, <laughs> among the linebackers. Uh, where he right. can, you know, fill in wherever. So, so you know, I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see if they do get to full strength. But the two guys that are getting back are awfully dynamic. They make they make big plays. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see how they how they integrate and and if they can get a couple big plays and get some confidence, <clears throat> even by playing New England tough uh, the way, with the way that New England's rolling people. Uh, one of the things I'm most interested to see is uh, ever since he minicamp. This seems to be the job that Byron Jones has been being trained for. Is exactly, facing, yeah. it, it certainly wasn't to face Ben Watson last week in New Orleans, right? So uh, it, they've, they've been grooming him for this. They've been grooming him for Jimmy Graham in a couple of weeks. So, uh, you know, I think that, you know, Sean, Sean Lee, if he plays, um, he's going to help out there. But I think you're going to see Byron Jones on Gronk in man coverage and, yep. uh, and see if he can deny throws from going that direction. And then my full expectation would be that they'll buzz a linebacker under all those routes to prevent a quick throw. Because I think you want, I think you want Jones denying targets uh, and preventing the throw from ever, ever coming out of Brady's hand in that direction with, with, with tight man coverage, but you don't want him tackling Gronk all day. Uh, So, so I think, I think you run a linebacker underneath to prevent the quick throws, you know, the little, the little pop pass that just gets it in Gronk's hands and lets him try and rumble through your secondary. So, uh, so, you know, uh, he's the guy you have to give all the attention to and, and try and make sure that Edelman doesn't kill you on the other side. But I'm really interested to see Byron Jones respond to this. Uh, it's going to be as big a physical challenge as he'll face this year and uh, and quite a test to, to throw a rookie 
uh, into. So um, they've they've been working him there uh, in that role this whole time. So it'll be very interesting to see how that develops and uh, and see if he can keep you know if he can make sure that uh, you know I'm sure Brady is thinking he's got a rookie and uh, and maybe he's going to have another record setting day to his tight end. But but hopefully we'll we'll see some of the some of the skills that we've seen in practice in that role. And, uh, and of course, some of the things that made us like him so much uh, on tape uh, emerged this week. So uh, a good, a good litmus test for everybody, for sure, because there are challenges up and down the roster uh, when you're facing New England. Yeah. For, for my money, Byron Jones will never have a more difficult matchup in his, in his entire career than he's going to have right now. The way Gronk is playing at this point in his career, there's never going to be a better tight end uh, situation for, for Byron Jones to have to uh, man up against. And if he can come through, if he can show us any of the things that we thought about him in this game, I think it'll be a plus. Uh, and, and that's pretty much what I'm hoping for. I have a sneaky suspicion Sneaky. I could be wrong. I could have some Kool-Aid in my blood, whatever you want to call it. I have a sneaky suspicion it's not going to be as bad as some people fear. I think the Cowboys are going to have a good showing on Sunday. I don't know if they can pull off the upset, but I don't think the Cowboys are going to get blown out of the building. So we'll see. We will check back in with you, uh, obviously, next week, as always, here on Cowboys Crunch Time with KD, the one and only Keith Mullins. Thank you for your time, Mr. Mullins. Always a pleasure, brother. We'll talk to you next week. All right, talk to you soon. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that'll do it for this episode of Cowboys Crunch Time with KD. It has been my esteemed pleasure sharing these airways with you, and I thank you again for tuning in and making this show as great as it has become. Thank you to my guest, Mr. Joey Ikes. Follow him on Twitter, at Joey Ikes, the one and only Mike Fisher, at Fish Sports. And my co-host here every week with the lowdown and the breakdowns, the one and only Keith Mullins at Keith Deuces on Twitter. Again, you can follow me at KD Drummond NFL. Make sure you're checking out CowboysHQ.com. Advanced Stats Notebook is going to try to find a way, a glimmer of hope to see where New England might be weak to see how the Cowboys are going to attack. Make sure you check for that. And the videos are here. When you open up those articles, make sure you click the videos at the top. See your boy. And that's how we're going to end it. Come back next week. By week, we're going to have a star-studded lineup to discuss where the Cowboys are at. Going into the break. Be on the lookout for the, I mean, just some great Cowboys minds are going to be weighing in on where things stand. So I know you're going to want to tune in for that. In the meantime, go get yourself a win against New England. Salute.